And welcome to another Acapunk Salon, recorded live in front of a studio audience. And this week, we're going to be looking at the power of digital platforms. And by digital platforms, I mean, these days, that pretty much includes just about everything. I mean, what isn't a digital platform these days? Zoom, ostensibly, is a digital platform. LinkedIn is, of course, a digital platform. And normally we have these salons begin with a provocation in which we invite one of our participants to say something that is meant to get our brains thinking. But today, in part because we've got a couple of new participants, instead we're going to do a go-round where each of us will sort of give a brief intro. But the purpose of the intro is not really to say who you are or what you do. Instead, the question is, what is your preferred digital platform? What is the digital platform that you find yourself going to most often? Or what is the digital platform that you find the most fruitful or productive or entertaining? And I'll go first as an example. My favorite platform is TikTok. I'm obsessed with TikTok. In fact, I'm often addicted to TikTok. But for the record, I love TikTok because I feel that the algorithm serves me exactly the kind of knowledge and intelligence I desire. It's partly because it's an interest graph instead of a, a traditional kind of social graph algorithm. But TikTok is something that I want to spend more time on, that I want to think about more and produce content for. So I offer this as both it's something that I'm excited about but it's also something I'm relatively new when it comes to being a creator. So with that said, we'll go around the circle and I'll ask Jan to go first. And Jan, in addition to describing what your preferred platform is, I would then like you to pass it on to who you would like to go next so that each person, after they say what their digital platform is, it's your job to highlight or call out someone else in the salon to answer the same question. So go ahead, Jan. Beautiful. Yeah, my pre favorite and preferred platform is very straightforward Instagram because um, I feel it offers me the most opportunity to um, yeah, express, you know, the little things that I have to express. Plus, I feel that I got a handle on it. Uh, I feel I figured it out. So on Instagram, I feel more like, you know, the, the subject, uh, right, of the action instead of the object. And uh, that's why I like Instagram. And uh, I would like to yeah, hear next, Andrea, from you. Well, I have to go with um, TikTok. I have to admit I'm obsessed with it. It's a rabbit hole. I don't know if the algorithm is doing me any favors because all I keep seeing now is Taylor Swift and um, Kelsey <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> so as much as I love football and as much as, you know, I wouldn't call myself a Swifty. It's a little overkill at the moment, but I do enjoy just scrolling. And if you don't like it, just keep going. It's got that endorphin rush that just keeps you addicted to it. I'm not a content producer on it. I'll go to Instagram and post pictures of my dog. And that's about the extent of my contribution to creatively sharing anything. But I, I find it amusing, entertaining. If you don't like it, like I say, just keep scrolling along. Um, I don't know who to pass it on to because I really don't know the folks on the salon. So um, I don't know, Lynn Chow, I can see your name. That's why I'm picking you. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I would say mine's Instagram too, uh, for a few reasons. Like Jesse, it's 
the algorithm gets me. I like art, I like music, I like dance, and it, it sort of pops up all the things I love. And my secret uh, recipes all come from there. And it's also a way that maybe this is too much information that I hang out with my husband because we both love Instagram and we post a lot. So it's sort of our way of communicating and hanging out too. So I'm going to pass on to Silky. Oh, you're, while you're not muted, we can't hear you. Do you want to check your microphone setting in Zoom there? And while you're doing that, Sharita, why don't you jump in? We'll give Silky a second. Okay. Um, so my favorite uh, platform is Amazon. The reason I'm saying that is because after three years, um, it knows me intimately and will send me messages um, when I'm about to run out of um, bath bomb. Um, so, you know, I have a very good relationship with Amazon. Um, but what I want to say is that there's all kinds of platforms. I mentioned an e-commerce one. There are lots of platforms. If I want to be entertained, I'll go along with what, you know, many people have said. I like TikTok. Makes me laugh. Your point about Amazon, though, is important. It's why we deliberately called this salon digital platforms and not necessarily social media. Exactly. <laughs> Silky, do you want to try again? And if you notice by the mute button, there's usually a little up arrow that allows you to select uh, different inputs potentially. And then if not, no, sorry, we still can't hear you. I think your not most favorite platform is Zoom. <laughs> well, Christian, why don't you go next? What's your favorite platform? Uh, First of all, it sounds a bit like uh, social media anonymous uh, because everybody seems to be addicted to some kind of social media or digital platform. Uh, mine is Instagram as well because I'm a photographer and it used to be the platform for photographers, but now it's more into video, but it still is. And I wake up every morning and I have a friend of mine who sends me, he's a pilot and he's always somewhere else in the world. And mostly I wake up in the morning and I have like 20 reels to look at. <laughs> so yeah, it's also a lot of fun, but it's also a huge waste of time. Hence, hence the, hi, I'm Jesse and I'm an addict. So uh, a fellow addict Christian, who would you like to nominate next? So maybe Silke again. <laughs> Try again. No, I think her audio is not working. So try again, Christian, in terms of you throwing to someone else. Oh, so I go to my fellow German, Jens. Right. <clears throat> so my favorite digital platform is a digital EcoPunk saloon because you find a lot of great people, you have nice topics, everything's great. <laughs> no, uh, to be honest, uh, I really, I love LinkedIn. Perhaps I'm the only one here in, in, in the room. I love LinkedIn because I, I'm a 
content creator in terms of um, topics on, on branding, everything around branding. I love branding. And this is a great platform for me to write and also to learn about branding. And for my oyster business, it is Instagram and Facebook. So I also love to write about oysters and uh, to post and to see what other oyster producers do in France or Ireland or UK or US. So it's, it's a great, great platform to learn from others as well. Right on. And who would you like to nominate next? Okay. The one and only here in our room, Silke. We try. Last try, Silke. I, I don't, I think Silke I is, is busy She's trying to up. debug. Oh. Yes, oh, she's, God. she's debugging, so she can't even hear us because the headphones oh, are not in. Holy. Okay, uh, I don't know. Merle, I think we, we haven't heard you yet. No, not yet. Right, uh, go ahead. So I was going to say that my favorite platform is Steam, which is probably one of, if not the largest online game stores. But I would actually say it's itch.io, which is a smaller but uh, somewhat more friendly to game developers uh, platform for distributing games, game assets. Um, with Steam, you get potentially more exposure, but you have to pay to get your game up and they also take a commission. With itch.io, um, they give you similar tools in terms of building a web page for your game, but you don't have to pay anything to upload it uh, to it a certain size and you can also uh take payments uh through itch.io so i would say itch.io right on and who are you going to nominate merley i will nominate rob thank you i accept the torch um it's i'm one of those people who find it difficult to find something i like there's a lot of things i don't like so i can uh, I heard addiction a number of times in my mind immediately went to something like Candy Crush. Is that a platform? Well, it's just a game, right? But it's sucking so much information from its users. They have no idea. And, and as does many uh, social media applications and platforms sucking so much. And why should I be concerned about that? I have nothing to hide, right? Or do I? Um, I I'll, go with, I'll go with Zoom as my favorite, um, or it's my oft-used one. And, and probably by gist of, um, I work with a lot of people who have various sensory and other uh, challenges, black fine de dexterity and such. And Zoom amongst all of the, the video uh, conferencing platforms tends to be most accessible. So that's my vote. Right on. And we've got two left, David and Stroh. So Rob, out of David and Stroh, who will you nominate? Oh, you muted yourself, so we don't can't hear you who you're nominating. I'm going to point at the person. That's going to be Stroh. And you're muted, Stroh. So we can't hear you, Stroh. Well, let me start. Okay, sorry, my my fingers are fat. Um, So uh, I actually have a question for you, Jesse, before I answer this question. What what do you define as a platform? Because it's like, is Notes a platform? Is like Adobe Illustrator a platform or Photoshop? Or does it have to be something interactive where you interact with other people or an algorithm or something? Excellent question, Stro. And I think as Rob was alluding, the definition is open. 
So okay. Candy Crush absolutely could be a platform, right? I, and, and by platform, I think we're bringing a subjective definition to it. But I would describe it more as something you keep coming back to that you're sitting on or you're standing on or you're spending time on. So yes, an app could definitely be a platform the same way a board game, arguably, could be a kind of platform. Right. So I think it, I th I think I have a few favorites in that case. Uh, for social media platform, uh, it's going to be Instagram for same reasons as mentioned before. Uh, I'm a photographer and an artist, and it's but I also like to add a little bit of story so it's very accessible. Uh, when it comes to gaming, it's unfortunate, but I think it's OLG. I think they got me hooked on 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 their uh, slots. Now, you you should for for non Ontario residents explain what you mean by OLG. So it's it's a it's like an online casino basically, right? It's gambling. Um, and then uh, I think when it comes to uh, just overall, I like the Adobe platform because it's actually where I get to create. But Procreate is really good as as well. Um, so, and, uh, I will nominate David to, or pass the conch to David. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Nominate. Great. Nominate. Uh, I use Twitter and, um, I use it to follow wars and politics in Canada and the U S and, um, but you know, I get getting bored by it. And, uh, in the last few days, I've actually returned to what I think might be a platform, and that is the Toronto Public Library System, which has uh, an enormous um, array of resources um, that keeps becoming platform more platform-like uh, every time I return to it. Right on. And Silky, do you want to take one last shot, or do you think it's not going to work? let me try can you hear me yes. yes oh my god so sorry i don't know what's happening um but i'm glad it's working now and um sorry if i missed a couple of things but for me it's it's also instagram is definitely the number one um reason is because it's 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 for me it's the mix of staying connected with friends seeing what they're doing what they're up to um, I'm a little bit more shy with what I'm posting, but I'm I'm pretty much on there every day. There's a little bit of of news that I'm getting. Um, I have a couple of, of 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 news accounts that I'm following, which which I enjoy, and the algorithm works for me as well. I'm 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 getting ads that make sense for me, so it's yeah, it's it's entertaining. I enjoy it. Um, the, the TikTok thing for me, I would love to learn a little bit more. I, I've tried it a few times. I go there and I I just leave. It's it's too much for me. It's too it's too crazy for me. Maybe I'm too old for it. I don't know, but maybe I need to spend more time. I wanna I wanna like it, but I haven't quite warmed up to it. Let's put it that way. Well, and what I found fascinating about this go round is the way the language we use to describe it. And Silky, your last point about signal to noise, right? That many of us get turned off platforms because we can't find the signal, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. David was talking about Twitter. And in my own case, I used to love Twitter, but I can't use it anymore because I find it's so much noise. It's that same thing where I turn it off. 
And, you know, I also like the notion that this was uh, social media anonymous, right? As Christian mentioned, that we're all kind of talking about being hooked or being addicted. And similarly, Lynn, I liked your point about how it's kind of part of your relationship with your partner in that I have a similar habit where I send, I collect all these TikToks that I then take to my partner and be like, oh, look at all these TikToks I've collected for you. So part of what I wanted to accomplish today is both kind of get a sense of what we thought of as platforms. And I think our different answers uh, gave glimpses into that. But the other was, what are some of the issues that we should be thinking about when using these platforms? You know, this could be as simple as best practices, both as users and creators. It could be understanding the value of platforms we're not using or we're not familiar with. In my own case, I've neglected LinkedIn for years. And I'm only now, you know, enjoying Yentz the way you use LinkedIn and trying to understand how to successfully connect and leverage this stuff. You know, the same way it was interesting that a bunch of you really are, I don't want to use the word loyal, but are seeing value in Instagram and, and go to Instagram on a daily or multi-daily basis. So I, I highlight this as all potential threads for us to unpack. As Jan has thankfully demonstrated, uh, if you want to chime in, you can raise your hand using the Zoom uh, 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 option. We, we won't necessarily do any further go-rounds, but let's dig a little deeper into why these platforms have the appeal or don't have the appeal. And further, it's interesting that no one really brought up ChatGPT as a platform, which may reflect that none of us are particularly enamored with it, but it is ostensibly the hottest platform around and the one that is uh, uh, has the potential to uh, uh, impact different businesses, but also impact different platforms in terms of what we get from them. So that's my kind of general overview. And I'm curious where we sort of go from here. So Jan, please jump in. Yeah, I thought the um, you know question, what makes a platform a platform was a really, really good one. And I love the examples of Candy Crush, but also of Amazon there, right? Because I would not have thought of Amazon, but uh, as Sharida was explaining it, uh, yeah, you know, you basically meet like-minded people or, you know, you get prompted uh, what people like you order in a similar session. Plus, uh, at times it can be interesting and even entertaining. If you read the book reviews on Amazon, they're hilarious. They're at times better than the books themselves, right? So, um you know, I find this uh, from a creator perspective interesting, right? What can be a platform? And from a from a user perspective, I come back to um, what I, you know, volunteered or, or brought forward as a rationale for why I like Instagram, because I feel I know how to use it and how to extract value from it you know, instead of the other way around. So um, I think I think that is really, really important and is becoming more important as consumers become more mature. Well, and, and I think you highlighted a potential conflict, which on the one hand, there is a kind of adversarial relationship where, you know, whether it's our attention, whether it's our personal information, the platforms want something from us and it's up to us to get that value back out of the platform. And Stroh kind of alluded to this when Stroh asked what a platform was. And 
I think interactivity is not a prerequisite, right? I think, Jan, what you just described was not interactivity. It was exchanging value. But I'm not sure that interactivity is always present or is even realistic in terms of its role. But I'm I'm kind of mumbling because I haven't fully thought that out. So, Lynn, please jump in while I try to think my thought a little clearer. I was just thinking of that aspect of community, like Suki also brought up. For me, I started on Instagram because I'm an artist and my artist friends all post on Instagram. So I had to open it in order to see their, their sketches and drawing. But now it is a community for, for me that I exchange. So I'm, I'm invested in it because, you know, that's where my friends are and that's how we communicate. Right. And I think that's kind of sets it apart. And maybe that's why I'm a, a little addicted to it. And that's why I post so much. So there's something there about how this platform is used and how this platform is I would attracting users like me. And it's it's very hard for me to not use it anymore because I'm completely embedded in it. My life is embedded in it. See, I, I have an equally problematic relationship with Facebook because I thought it, I found it interesting that only Jens sort of mentioned Facebook and, and that was in the context of business in your defense, Jens. But Lynn, I, I have a similar relationship with Facebook that I keep kind of going back to it because there are certain family members who that's the only way that I'm going to know what those nieces are up to. You know, wh when I call their dad, we talk about our stuff. But to get access to the larger family, Facebook provides that kind of weak ties. But I'm so invested in it that it's difficult to kind of get out. Andrea, please jump in. Yeah, just kind of building on the Facebook, it's the interesting how the evolution, you know, it kind of started with Facebook and that group or community grew from college students to general people and then Instagram and Snapchat. And they've kind of like had their peak of excitement and engagement. And then they've kind of drifted away. And maybe Facebook now is for the older folks. Younger kids are not really on it. They're more on TikTok or something yet to be discovered. I mean, even Snapchat has taken a dive. So it's kind of got its own little ecosystem of how things rise up, become really popular, people get excited about, and then they're looking for the next great thing. So I don't know. It's it's it'll be interesting to see what comes next. Well, and, and older that's... people for the Sorry, older people, ahead, I was saying for the older people and for the Germans. Uh, no, because I share that experience with Facebook, and that might be uh, an age thing too, right? Uh, my experience is that. Um, my German community, which dates already quite some decades back, is primarily on Facebook, while everyone else is on Instagram. Uh, I also noticed that the media consumption varies a lot between Facebook and Instagram. So uh, I would argue that uh, stories get much more views on Instagram in comparison to Facebook. And, you know, I think that is the beautiful thing for every single one of us as we string together our very own ecosystem of social media channels as we want to use them, um, you know, that we can use each channel to to their advantage, basically. Stro, jump in. Yeah, you know, something that just became evident to me th with this discussion is that you know, I think we're a tribal species, right? So we get onto something that we're comfortable with and where our social network lies is kind of probably what we stick to, though, because, you know, we're also motivated by um, getting some reward from trying something new, whatever, we 
we tr- tend to go to the other places, but maybe we date ourselves by saying, oh, we're on Instagram, because I know my kids are all about Snapchat, for example, or or Discord, right? So I, I think the, the thing that comes from that thought is, is, you know, because media is so fragmented, or ha- our platforms are so fragmented now, right? Because everybody's got a, uh, a piece of the pie, so to speak, is... Is there a way, um, you know, and I think it's a problem with the world, actually, that we don't have a unified um, platform where there's such a disconnect between people and ideas. And that's why there's so much polarization in so many ways in the world. And it's like, how, how do we get somewhere where we have something like when, when you and I had much music growing up and it united us with everybody across the country because the media and the stories we shared were the same. So I, I guess my question is, is there a way to make sense of the world <laughs> more with these different platforms? You know, it, um, something that I, I think we're going to need uh, because who who listens to news anymore? Again, it's so well, fragmented, right? And, and I think you just sort of made that argument in reverse, that news is dead precisely because we can get information from such a diverse range of sources that there's no longer an authoritative or a central narrative or central voice. Instead, there's every voice that you could imagine. And yes, that fragments, but it is also empowering when it comes to diversity that you are getting such a range of voices participating in these public conversations. Now, Merle has his hand up, but Jens, I'm about to call upon you to elaborate on what you meant by training the algorithm. Because I think that is a, a very important concept. So Merle and Charita and then Jens, uh, be prepared to be called out to talk about that. Because I, I think that's a really uh, a relevant dynamic. But Merle, please jump in. Now you've got someone sweating there, Jesse. Great. Well done. <laughs> I think uh, the whole idea of news is dead is, I mean, at least in Canada, especially true for Facebook. And so far as you can't actually post links to news stories anymore, that has been disabled. Uh, but I also, I think the idea of the unified platform is interesting. Uh, I I kind of feel like we need the diversity precisely because of that idea of signal to noise. I think if there was one platform, it would all be noise because you'd be getting everything. Um, and I just think a lot of what we've been talking about is sort of dependency on these ecosystems for social relationships. But sort of going back to what we were talking about last time, uh, in our last salon, there's also the personal side. Like a lot of people depend on Google Photos or iCloud to store their pictures and have it recall memories, or you know Google Drive for their documents or whatever, whether it's Microsoft. And we're very dependent on those systems for our personal information as well. That is just for ourselves uh, or personal data, and of course the the social aspect as well. But Again, those uh, different platforms do have very specific demographics. I was using Facebook from the ages of nine to 13, at which point I pretty much entirely stopped. And I spent a bit of time on Instagram. Um, And these days, I think, at least for people my age, Instagram is one of the main ways people connect. Um, Also, no one has mentioned Be Real, which I think came out in 2016. Uh, I have, I'm not on Be Real myself, but I've noticed that a lot of people I've encountered and met who are my age are. Um, and so that's like another one there that people connect on. 
uh, I think it is very demographic specific. Right on. Sharita. Um, I think that really what happens to us um, with almost any of the platforms that we use is that not so much that we are getting different news or different views, but we tend to follow our friends onto different platforms and watch what they do on different platforms. So in essence, I don't think it's really opening us up to a lot of opinions. I think really what's happening is through various and serial um, social media platforms, we are still uh, constructing an echo chamber that supports our own views, etc. I remember um, when I was teaching, um, I would tell my students just for fun, um, and maybe if you want to tell me about it for grades, um, go and follow somebody you would never follow and see what happens when you do that. Um, like in the old days, um, you know, go watch Fox for a few hours. And my whole class would go, I don't want to do that, etc. But I think what happens is we tend to form an echo chamber. Well, and I think it's to use the uh, analogy, the physical analogy. If you're the kind of person who at a party is comfortable walking up and talking to strangers, then you would probably be the kind of person who would join a social network without having any friends already as users. Versus if you're shy and you're used to being invited to a party where you already know people, then yes, you're probably going to go onto a social network. But the reason I wanted to bring Jens into this, uh, in part because of the comment you posted, is the algorithms obviously play a very powerful role in terms of shaping the user experience on these platforms. And, you know, Jens, I think you sort of take for granted your high level of literacy that to you, the idea of training an algorithm is self-evident. But I would argue that most people don't even think that training the algorithm is an option, that they're perhaps not exercising the level of agency or mindfulness that many of us do when it comes to fine tuning that algorithm. So I'm, I'm curious from your own experience, Jens, uh, what do you do to train the algorithm? And, and how have you found that that method has varied results? Like it works differently on Instagram than it does on LinkedIn or it does on Facebook. I'm curious your experiences as someone who perhaps is experienced at training algorithms. Well, I'm, I'm not an expert in this. It's just coming from my own experience, as you said. Uh, but it's coming back to what Sherida said about the own ecosystem. So what we can do is to build our own positive ecosystems on the digital platform. So that's a positive thing. So, um, for example, if you, if you watch a lot of cat videos for a long time, then the algorithm will learn, okay, Sherida loves cat videos. And what the algorithm will do, she will play a lot of, she will see a lot of cat videos. So if you look at shitty content for a long time, then the algorithm will send you a lot more shitty content. So in positive terms, what I do in, 
in terms of my small oyster business. So I write articles about oysters. And I look always, always only on oyster related content. And now I only get oyster related content. I never get any shitty cat videos or whatsoever because I have never looked at them. So if you make it to your own discipline, not to look, okay, it might be interesting to, to look at some funny cat videos, but it's bad for the algorithm. So if you want to have a nice, uh, um, a nice uh, content feed, then you better avoid this. And this works on, on Facebook as same as on, on LinkedIn. So, so you can build your own positive ecosystem. It, it, it strikes me, Jan, that the, the, the method that Jens is offering is, is almost monk-like, right? Like the discipline to not get trapped in the, in my case, it's puppy videos, but, you know, all the cute and attention-grabbing and clickbait content on the internet. Jan, are you able to resist uh, 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 diverging from your focus when it comes to the algorithm? Now, you've got your hand up, which is why I'm throwing to you. But I'm kind of curious if you also train the algorithm or think about the ways in which you could train the algorithm. So, so first of all, I want to say there's nothing wrong with cat videos, right? They're not only funny, but Sorry, Sorry. all of us, all of us can learn from them, and yes. the world would be a better place if all dictators in the world would watch cat videos uh, for ten minutes starting their days. Um, I actually uh, applaud Jens for uh, the way that he trains algorithms. Uh, and I uh, absolutely trust Jens that his method works in his case because he is a very, very disciplined person, right? This would not work in my case. And I found myself, uh, actually, and we have not spoken about this, Jesse, this is uh, surprising, but I found myself last weekend going through these settings on Instagram, you know, hide ads like this why do i see these ads right in the future block ads like this for reasons x y and z and i thought oh this is great this gives me an opportunity to moderate my own content but then i thought hey wait a minute you know this is this is a circus i'm the animal here and i'm training the trainer on how to make me jump better through hoops so that didn't feel exciting either. And I stopped right then. I really do believe um, the answer is in using them as actively and purposefully as uh, Jens has laid that out, but mix it up with a cat video every now and then, because uh, you know otherwise we'd all be as boring as Jens is. Right on. And Andrea has her hand up and Silky, I see you have your hand up too. So we'll throw to you after Andrea. Go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, I'm kind of building on the algorithm as being, you know, you're building it and you're following something banal like just cat videos or whatever. But the danger obviously is how the algorithm can manipulate you and bring you down a rabbit hole, a la what happened with the political situation here in the United States where Q, whoever Q is, was perpetuating all these crazy, you know, conspiracy theories about pizza gate or what have you so it does have a danger system like a little bit uncomfortable it is something i guess i think about i'm hopefully not getting sucked in by you know my my viewing on tiktok into some weird conspiracy world but it is a danger i think and i think we become more tribalism because then you self-perpetuating follow these these things and you really believe them and it's it's could be something that there's going to have to be some controls put into place i think 
Well, and I wonder about that all the time, only because I like to think that I have a high level of media literacy, and yet I'm constantly wondering whether the stuff I'm seeing on these platforms are accurate or not. And it, it's interesting to your point about QAnon that it's often the stuff that is blatantly inaccurate that tends to be the most popular. Uh, Silky, please join in. Yeah, just a couple of thoughts. One, one of the things that I also notice when it comes to the algorithm is that um, depending who your friends are and what they're looking at and what they're clicking on, um, th that that gets put into your feed as well. So I've been I've been paying uh, a close attention to that as well. And 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 another thing that in terms of like making sure that the content that you're that you're seeing is accurate. Sometimes I catch myself, um, you know, getting an interesting fact, and and then I I wonder is this is this real or or do I need to dig into a little bit deeper? And I start reading the comments to kind of validate to, you know, to just see the different opinions. And I enjoy that very much, like seeing the different discussions that people have about a certain topic. And then from there, build your own opinion about something. I, I think I, uh, that that's something that I do a lot. <laughs> well, and, and I think you emphasize a really important fact, which is it's who we're connected to. Mm -hmm. That influences what we see as much as training the algorithm itself. Right, right. And 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 this is the big thing I've noticed on Twitter, where Twitter in the last few months has made a big change, where you'll see people you don't follow in your newsfeed because people you follow follow them, right? So it's really extending into further and further kind of uh, 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 layers of connection. But the other side to this, to go back to something we've talked about in a few salons, which I'm curious to, to hear everyone's kind of perspective, is volume versus quality. Because, you know, I personally prefer quality, right? And I tend to follow people or connect with people online who are posting at a reasonable pace. But when I look at the people who are really popular on LinkedIn, popular on Instagram, popular on TikTok, what they seem to have in common is volume and not quality, that they have consistency and frequency in terms of how often they're posting, but the quality of their content may be secondary. So here I'm curious to hear from our European friends who have long been arguing quality, where us North Americans have been saying, no, 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 it's all volume. Does anyone want to pick a side as to whether... You know, am I wrong in thinking that volume is a clear a signifier of success when it comes to people on social media? Or is that just my own aversion? Both Christian and Jens unmuted. So both of you, please jump in. Go for it, Jens. Oh, okay. Um, just from the experience of what I heard from, from LinkedIn, they, they, they changed the, the algorithm to focus more on content which has a which has a high quality content, so and they measure it by how many comments they are and what sort of comments there are. So is it just a nice, great, or are there longer comments on it? How many comments are there? So um, in the past it was more on on quantity, now it changed to quantity, and the better the quantity, uh, the more likely it is that the algorithm will put it into your feed. 
So quality will be the future. And Christian, do you on, think on the same applies to Instagram? Um, I think it, uh, Instagram, it's more like quantity because if you don't post like every day, uh, your content is not relevant. And you, I, I'm like for three years now, I, I'm like at like 6,300 followers, more or less, like, uh, like 50 more or less. And it's not growing anywhere. So uh, you have to post consistently to to grow your fo followers. But you would say post consistently quality content? Uh, well, maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> if you... If you play around with with AI a lot, you will find out that um, the all all the videos on YouTube that uh, tell you how to grow your content is like just put an AI on it that will write your content and uh, create like videos and stuff, and um, it's I think it's not quality and it's not personal. It's like made by a machine. Well, and, and this is the danger, and, and Stro, I'll throw to you in a moment, that as the chat GPT and other generative AI models become more accessible and easier to use, that social media will be even more flooded with noise. And I think we're starting to see this on LinkedIn, because you can kind of tell who's using chat GPT to generate tons of LinkedIn posts. Stro, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, you know, because I, I, I think quality is very subjective. Like, what's I don't think there's a standard for quality at all. I think it's actually consistency that matters, right? You'll find your audience uh, depending on how consistently you're putting out the content and on the subject itself. But I don't think there's a standard for quality at all. And I think that's what, you know, that's where – and what does actually success look like is that – getting a lot of followers is it monetizing uh or is it engaged uh con like actual engaged conversations right and i think this is as high a quality thing that there is on the internet right but it's but it's small because you can only have so much quality like the, as soon as you go quality uh, quantity you lose quality it's just the nature of the beast right although yeah. before i throw to you jan rob you posted something in the chat that i'd love for you to elaborate on which is you argued volume and provocation which strikes me as an interesting counter to ai because i'm not sure ai can be provocative do you want to elaborate on what you meant i think it might it could be but um and i've only read things that like Twitter slash X, uh, the more provocative, the more likely it is to, to breed and spread. But um, there's that, uh, having an agenda. And um, and then entertain me versus quality. Uh, and it could be both. Some of the better uh, content providers or, or posters provide a balance of both. Um, they're not going to go on dryly about... Um, some esoteric topic that that most of their audience is going to be interested in, unless it's happens to be that that community exists around women's women's milliner's shoes of the 16th century or whatnot. But um, so, quality versus entertainment is it either or, or both? Right on, Jan. Yeah, I think Stroh's question with regards to what is success, right? How do you define success? I think that is really really important. 
Um, and then, you know, the the Instagram question, I now wonder whether, uh, you know, we have to answer uh, your question, Jesse, uh, quality over quantity it, by the channel or by the platform, right? Or by the artist, right? What I mean with this is uh, you're absolutely right. The maximum uh, duration of an Instagram story can be, I think, 15 seconds. And uh, yeah, you know, idiot who invests uh, a week into developing one piece of, of that stuff. That said, when Christian, as a still photographer, posts stuff on Instagram and reposts it and posts it often, they are still good images, right? They're still good photos. It's not that, you know, my mom took her camera and snapped a picture of my coffee mug no it's still a good picture so you know i think it probably depends on really your purpose and what you want to achieve there and you know the dynamic nature of platforms is you can now have 60 second stories on instagram which i suspect is a response to tiktok but i could be projecting sharita um, I have a question more than uh, anything else, and that is, um, how do you become an influencer? Yeah. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Oh. <laughs> that married I, I, a laugh. I, no. I, I would really like to know the answer. I, I you... think it's subjective, right? I think, you know, there are some people who would argue an influencer is entirely based on numbers. I think uh, an English professor would argue that an influencer is defined by their influence. Um, in other cases, you could have to go back to quality. You could have an influencer with very small numbers, but a very important audience. So I think the influencer uh, is largely subjective. But if we're going to use economic terms, you're getting paid to post. Yeah. Right. You're getting paid to endorse. You're getting paid... And like our Echo Punk's Instagram account, which last I checked had 25 followers, had a request from someone who wanted the Echo Punks to wear particular glasses. So I think the barrier to entry for influencers is very low. Don't say um, that. Don't say that, Jesse. Come on. But at the same time, uh, it, it, it is a very crowded marketplace. There are lots and lots of people who want to be influencers. And there was a recent article in the Washington Post about Mr. Beast, uh, uh, which is one of the top YouTubers. And he, I believe he lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And the East Carolina University has just created an influencer degree program because Mr. Beast needs to hire people. He's so popular and he's, <laughs> collaborating with the local university to train young people to work on his team. So, you know, influencers, I think, are uh, what used to be journalists, what used to be broadcasters, what used to be, you know, uh, credible personalities. Only now the barrier to entry is zero. So anyone can aspire to be an influencer. But I, I think... Uh, to be a successful influencer is a completely different can of fish. Go ahead, Jan. Yeah, uh, Sharita, once more, brilliant, brilliant question and a brilliant prompt because, um, you know, influencers and our topic today, social media platforms, 
uh, you know, as you asked your question, it just dawned on me that your platform of choice, if you are an influencer, can actually become your job title. I uh, sent something to Jesse on the weekend. It was uh, an article about the celebrity that was the most tracked person during the New York City Marathon, which uh, is run every year by 50,000 people. And the most tracked person, um, you know, tracked meaning digitally tracked by uh, people who downloaded the app or, you know, tracked the race progress um, digitally, uh, was a so-called YouTuber. It was not a, you know, actor or a musician or another sports celebrity. It was a YouTuber, an influencer, uh, who then also had to give a ton of interviews because he was so much more popular than any other celebrity or any other person uh, who ran that New York City Marathon. But to your point, you call him a YouTuber and not an influencer. Exactly, exactly. I haven't heard of an Instagrammer yet, right? But, uh, you know, I find it amazing. Someone but can... I, think, I, I think the first influencers were Instagrammers, yeah, right? That, so. that Instagram, I think, was the platform that really uh, helped influencers go mainstream versus you know vine users or tiktok users or youtubers or tiktokers they are within the context in which their celebrity or economic power arose um but there is of course the interesting flip side which is celebrities who become influencers mm -hmm. and celebrities who use that celebrity power to then you know uh, uh, turn that into money whether endorsing products whether doing commercials or all the different ways of monetizing attention and I think it's interesting that our conversation started with the platforms we use, and we're now kind of coming to an end and looking at the larger economics of these platforms in terms of how they are creating a new tier of celebrity, or even what I think would be a new tier of politician, right? Because that is a lot of what uh, uh, influences are, is they have constituents and they serve these constituents. And if they're successful at serving these constituents, that's how they're able to make a living. That's how they're able to get paid. So what are the, the one thing we haven't really talked about in this conversation that I have to kind of bring up at the end, only because I've got this little voice in my head saying, what if, is the issue of privacy. Because we've touched upon it Right. We've talked about the way in which it, our information is used. We've talked about the way in which, you know, the algorithm either works with us or works against us. Has concerns around privacy and digital platforms basically receded? Right. Have, have we sort of gotten into embracing the idea that, you know, the reason these platforms, at least most of them, are free is because of the fact that we're being exposed to advertising and our information is being helped to train AI? Or is privacy something that, you know, is going to come back to the forefront that people are going to be concerned about once again? It's just like all cycles of uh, politics. It comes and goes. Anyone want to tackle that? Anyone still concerned about their privacy with these platforms? I I'm not. I I'm bringing this up only because... I feel guilty about the fact that I'm not, right? There were a time where I was more uh, uh, vigilant about protecting my privacy, but I kind of feel now to go to Jan's uh, uh, notion of the value exchange, 
that because I'm using it, I feel I am getting value, right? When I talk about TikTok, I say, yes, absolutely. The Chinese Communist Party is getting access to all of TikTok's data, and I'm okay with that because TikTok is giving me the value that I want. So, Merle, please, uh, as the youngest here, do you worry about your privacy in terms of social media? I would say that I worry more about it and am more concerned than most of my peers. But I also uh, have the feeling that there's only so much you can do because we are reliant on a lot of these systems, whether it's Instagram to stay connected and keep up with your friends or Google to tell you how to get to where you're going. Uh, I think that there's so much dependency that, you know, and, and the narrative is such that there's not really an option. You you have to accept the terms and conditions to just get by. So while I, I do my best to uh, mitigate some privacy concerns by changing all the settings when possible, um, you know, using a VPN or a private browsing mode or an alternative search engine, I think to a certain extent, uh, there's not much you can do. And most people have accepted that. Anyone want to agree, disagree with Murley's suggestion that there's not much we can do? I mean, Lynn pointed out that in Europe, there are stronger privacy laws. So at least those of you who have the benefits of the European Union do have more protections than those of us here in North America. Yeah, maybe a little too strong, in my opinion, in certain areas, right? I mean, in 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 many ways when i look at the at the at the european or the german privacy laws i i'm thinking come on people you know let's be honest here you are not that interesting no one really cares so much but i do have to say that you know once you come to an age where you feel like oh you know certain health data uh, with regards to uh, you know my uh, you know well-being could potentially be held against me, for example, by a health insurance company, right? That's then where I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute, I don't want people to know what I'm Googling or, um, you know, certain things I would rather be, you know, kept under wraps. Stro, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I just had a thought to come to mind thinking that, you know, I think it's kind of an oxymoron to think of privacy on the internet, right? Like you're connecting to everything. So the idea of going online is to actually connect. And so it is kind of a false security or a false idea of privacy ever if you're, if you're hopping on. It's just, it. I think at this point, and we know what's happened in the past, like we, I don't think you, as soon as you have that, uh, you're connecting, you're, you have no privacy. I think that's, I think that's a given. I mean, it does speak to the word log in that when you log in, you're in the log, right? You're sort of submitting yourself to that surveillance. But I think the other side is consequences and impact. And there was an interesting study that came out this week that in the U S women are far less likely to share health data in part because abortion is being criminalized. Right. And a lot of women's health is being subject to extra scrutiny. So I think there is a, a, a tension that will continue to go between our desire to control our information and our identity 
and these platforms desires to extract it, right? To use that information for all sorts of different purposes. And I think, Jan, your point about health really speaks to that. Now, we've run out of time, unfortunately, but I think part of the purpose of the topic today is platforms are a moving target. They're constantly evolving. They're constantly kind of changing in terms of the way the algorithm works and the way the, the... the, the the information we get and whether it is in an echo chamber or whether we are getting access to new sources. So I think we'll do this again, uh, perhaps in the late winter or early spring and sort of regularly have salons that circle back. Um, you know, the larger question uh, next week, uh, we're going to look at rudeness and public outrage and mental health which uh, certainly on the internet, there seems to be a lot of examples of that. So is it an algorithmic driven phenomena or are we just all going nuts? And now we have a stage to share it with people. That'll be next week's topic. Uh, Until then, thanks a lot. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. I just ended the stream for LinkedIn and now I will stop the recording for the podcast. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you, Jesse. Bye-bye. Thanks everyone.